Hello and welcome to Top in Tech, a global council podcast. My name's Conan Darcy and I lead Global Council's global tech policy coverage. This week, we're going to discuss the regulation of crypto assets, and there's a lot happening in this space. Just in the past month, the Council of the EU has approved the EU's new sweeping rules for the sector. The UK's Treasury Select Committee recently called for consumer crypto trading to be regulated as a form of gambling. And the International Organization of Securities Commissions has published for recommendations on how to regulate crypto assets. So lots going on in this space. Thankfully, I am joined by David Song, an associate director in our financial services team. David leads much of our analysis on crypto assets and more broadly, other aspects within fintech and financial services. So we're in good hands today. Welcome, David. Could you just start off by giving both me, but also listeners, a sense of where global regulatory efforts stand? What's the status quo on crypto assets globally? So I think the first thing to say is actually we're in quite a different position when you look across juris- different jurisdictions. Um, we're at an interesting ju- juxtaposition as well, particularly with the approach and uh, changes that you're seeing in the US versus uh, Europe as a whole. So in Europe, we're seeing, as, as you mentioned, the finalization of the Mika, so market and crypto asset regulation rules. Um, we're expecting that to be published in the official journal of the EU uh, sometime soon. Uh, we're also seeing the UK making inroads into uh, finalising the Financial Services and Markets Bill, um, which basically relays the foundation for a regulatory approach to crypto assets, which would regulate them as a financial product. On the other hand, however, in the US, you're seeing quite a lot of enforcement action related to crypto assets. So as I mentioned, we're seeing a lot of investors actually pause for thoughts in how they're approaching this, moving a lot of their capital investment into Europe, um, so the European Union and the UK given we're seeing a more stable and open regime towards crypto assets at a global level as well. So as you mentioned, the securities regulator, the global securities regulator, IOSCO, has published their recommendations on how to regulate crypto assets. And obviously they're much more higher level in nature, but it does provide a good blueprint for what we're seeing across the globe. Obviously in uh, the UAE, in Qatar, you're seeing uh, a move towards regulating these assets slightly differently to Europe but very much uh, many countries have have steamed ahead seeing this as a competitive advantage. And the US, for for many different reasons, um, have stumbled a little here and are seeing investment move away from the US at the moment into the European Union. So I'm fascinated by the dynamic that you've just described, David, because normally on this podcast, there's a fairly crude dichotomy between regulation being potentially a positive for citizens and for ensuring trustworthiness and new technologies, but being perceived, at least by sections of industry, as a negative for investment, for growth, for developing a tech ecosystem. Whereas on the other hand, a more deregulatory approach, which like you've just described with crypto, is the same in areas like data protection in the US, where it's actually seen, while it may not be so protective of the citizen's interest, it has allowed certain innovations to flourish and therefore can be seen potentially as a competitive advantage. So that, that, that's a broad debate that we always come back to here. But what you're saying totally flips it on its head that actually having that regulatory framework is not only a regulatory first mover advantage, but is also a competitive first mover advantage because that firm regulatory framework 
is what allows the industry to then grow and attract the investment that you've just described. One thing that we didn't, uh, well, it didn't crop up in your answer there was just some of the the raw politics around this. We saw, obviously, at the end of last year, the collapse of FTX, which caused a huge stir, not only in the business pages, but also front page news. Uh, you saw arrests, we saw hearings, and that has obviously impacted and collided with some of the processes that you've just talked about, most obviously in Brussels and London. Can you just talk about how does that broader political controversy feed through into the regulatory debates that you've been observing over the last few months in Europe? Absolutely. I mean, the first thing to say is actually it's it's quite a confusing landscape because I think if you look, look at it through the lens of the FTX collapse, that poses some really interesting questions because actually the problem there was a lack of governance, a lack of controls, which actually led to the collapse in the first place. The problem was not the assets that underlied that, the technology that it used, but actually you know, the, the human factor of that, which is effectively that the company was mismanaged. When you look at it through that lens, it actually shows you quite an interesting an interesting insight, which is effectively that from a, an EU perspective, if you had Amica in place or if FTX had been based in the European Union, many legislators are actually quite confident that that would have mitigated some of the risks because that would have then been a regulated product. That's obviously saying and, and trying to guess in advance of that. But it does pose some interesting questions around actually the controls that you put in place and bringing us back to you know the investment in this space and actually seeing this as a competitive advantage actually we've seen the kind of wild west of crypto where it's been unregulated for a, a long period of time and it's grown up within that environment and actually what that has led to is cases like ftx for example and actually now lots of enforcement action by the us authorities because they have specific concerns about the industry, the way that it's grown up and the governance and control mechanisms they have in place. Whereas I think in the UK and EU, where there has been very little crypto investment in the past, you're now seeing a flip because they've then established regimes that uh, level set and effectively are very transparent around the way that they want a product to be regulated. So it, it's an interesting turn of events that has actually led to, to you know a call for greater regulation in this space rather than the, the normal approach, which is deregulatory in nature. So what you're describing almost is that while that has been an important motivator, both for enforcement action in the US, but also for some of the calls for regulation as the processes have developed both in London and Brussels, the form that it's taking is, is not exactly punitive. It's a much more structured framework that actually looks to grow and encourage the more responsible ends of the industry even if as i said earlier the treasury select committee has a different view potentially on what is responsible or can be responsible with regards to this sector but that's probably for another day what i did just want to touch on david is we've talked a lot about mika mika the the jargon for the eu's crypto assets regulation which as we said has has just been legislated for and will come into come into force over the next 18 months can you just explain to those on the line which crypto assets are in scope, which ones aren't? And I guess if you're an average day-to-day, I don't know if this is the correct term, retail investor in, in crypto assets, what will change for you? Absolutely. So I, th- I think I'll start from that consumer side of, of because I think it's more relatable for people to understand, which is if you've ever bought a crypto asset, generally you'll go to a, a consumer-facing entity 
in order to exchange your transactions. That could be somebody like a Coinbase or a Binance, for example, um, where you'll change your fiat money, i.e. your pounds, euros, dollars, etc., into a crypto asset. So that could be Bitcoin, it could be Ethereum, uh, it could be many others as well. And it, these are called exchanges effectively. And what most of Mika has focused on, um, it does some other things as well, but what most of Mika has focused on is actually regulating those exchanges. So those consumer-facing entities to make sure that the consumer has protections in place, that the entity itself is authorized, that it has the right governance and controls in place. Um, that is what most of Mika has focused on. Um, the other aspect of Mika um, is focusing in on uh, specific tokens. So you might have heard of Libra or DM in the past, which is the uh, meta initiative effectively to create a stablecoin uh, within the market, a global stablecoin. Um, Mika also regulates this type of uh, sector as well. So these are split into two types of entities. When you have a stablecoin, you have um, two types. One is algorithmic, which basically tries to keep its value by certain algorithms with some form of backing. And then, well, as it's called in Mika language, electronic money tokens, which are um, backed by real-world assets. And this is usually one-for-one. One. So say it's pegged to the dollar or euro, you would have $1 backing that stablecoin that's deposited with a bank. And again, uh, a euro um, that's deposited with a bank uh, to stabilize against that that specific sector. So those are two, the other two types of uh, asset uh, tokens that Mika does regulate as well. So David, I just was intrigued when you mentioned Libra slash DM. I recall very distinctly when, you know, as it was Facebook at the time, announced that it was going to move into this area with uh, Libra, as I think it was called at that point. And this, I believe, if I recall correctly, was around the time that the EU was in relatively early discussions about what would eventually become Mika. And Facebook's announcement was really a shot in the arm that helped build momentum towards their being Mika in the first place. But what I can't quite understand is, given that Libra isn't a thing anymore well it got renamed to dm and then facebook slash meta abandoned the project why is there a provision within the eu's regulatory regime that that looks at significant e-money and asset reference tokens has a specific regulatory regime for them which is more onerous than for other tokens i mean what's the point of that are we are we is, is there another token out there that, that, that the eu has in mind or is it is it something hypothetical in the future that may or may not emerge from the private sector? I think uh, the honest answer at this stage is it's hypothetical. We've seen some uh, some huge tokens launch. Um, you know, lots of companies are providing stablecoins within the market. None yet, particularly within the EU, are of that significant, uh, significant status as of yet. Um, but what I would say is the way that financial services regulators look at a policy debate is very different to how we look at things from a tech perspective. So they regulate for effectively the future risk that they do foresee. Um, and, you know, regulators, whilst um, they don't champion necessarily stable coins come in, into the market, at least those that aren't fully backed, um, there is the potential and the recognition that they see in the future that this has to take place. And given the fact that, you know, Mika has taken several years to negotiate and any renewal of that would take again another few years, um, regulators are looking at this from the perspective of we can see this market growing, we can see a potential significant um, token arising in the future, and therefore we need to regulate for that eventuality to make sure that consumers are protected, that if 
um, a, a token, say for example, did collapse, which obviously we've seen um, in the very recent past, um, that effectively consumers have their money and, and are able to transact and get their money back. Okay, that makes makes a lot of sense. We talked a lot, David, around the EU side of things. I'd like to just very quickly dwell on the UK. You described a little bit the process that's happening in the UK at the moment with the legislation in Parliament. What are the notable differences between how the EU is approaching this and how the UK is intending to regulate the sector? I would actually say there's there's very little difference there. Um, but I, I'd say the primary thing to look towards in the UK in particular is actually there is a bit more flexibility in the approach. So I think in here there is a second mover advantage with the UK, which is, you know, Mika has, has done lots. It's established a really good position and a really good global baseline for crypto regulation. But not everybody is happy with the way that Mika has ended up. So um, in particular, the UK can look to Mika um, and use aspects of that that it likes, but also aspects that it doesn't like as well. So given also we're coming from basically an identical financial services regime to the EU, um, given we only exited uh, the EU several years ago, we have the same uh, level of legislation. Um, actually, there is a very similar basis there for, for the UK to build on, um, but there will be functional and, and kind of key differences to that, which is how we regulate as well. With Mika, there's lots of rules set out in the, the kind of level one text, as we call it, um, which is the, the Mika regulation itself. Whereas what the UK tends to do and prefer to do within the financial services space is set very minimal requirements within primary legislation and then actually leave the regulators to create the rules themselves. Um, they're equally as binding, um, but it just means we can move in a more flexible dynamic. So if a, a particular rule set doesn't work, we can actually adjust that much more easily much more quickly and, and uh, agile than the EU is able to do. So that's kind of been the the kind of background of approach from a UK perspective. Um, and that could stand them in very good stead, um, particularly as uh, as a second mover within this space rather than within the primary, uh, the primary mover. There's echoes here of the ex-ante digital competition rules that both the EU and the UK have been working on. On the EU side, it's the Digital Markets Act, which is in place and set to come in to effect over the next something like eight months. The UK version has just been introduced to Parliament, so it has to take its legislative process, uh, but it was also deliberately a much more flexible design of regulation than its EU counterpart. And if you talk to the Competition and Markets Authority, they're quite clear that the, the two regimes will probably be quite similar, but they will have the advantage not only of coming that second mover advantage, as you, as you, you coined it there, David, they'll have the advantage of that so they can learn about what's working and not working under the EU's regime. But the regi regime in the UK will in and of itself be more flexible and they won't have to adjust to a prescribed list. They can design the particular remedies and interventions according to different platforms and therefore they can be more flexible and therefore pick and choose a little bit what they want and what they don't want from what's already been applied to 27 other countries just across the channel or the Irish Sea. So let's conclude David on on the crypto asset side. Give us a sense of dates. What should listeners be looking out for? When, when is this going to come in on both sides of the channel? So I'd say the key date to look out for on the EU side is the publication of Mika 
market and crypto asset regulation um, in the official journal of the EU. That's effectively the starting gun uh, of implementation, which uh, will take a couple of years. Um, and those are the, the kind of dates set out there. But that's the kind of key publication I would look out for. There'll be then, if you're really interested in this space, lots of regulatory rules that do follow from the European uh, Securities and Markets Authority and the European Banking Authority, which will set out more rules. Um, but that's obviously only if you're super interested in the space. Um, in the UK, um, the thing to look out for is the finalisation of the Financial Services and Markets Bill, which will effectively um, put in place the, the regime on legislative footing and give power to the regulators to then consult on their future phases. So uh, we can accept, accept, um, expect stablecoin uh, consultations, particularly from the FCA and Bank of England, uh, following the publication of the Financial Services and Markets Bill, and then a future phase, probably towards the autumn winter time, looking at the crypto assets uh, regime in a little more detail. So lots of detail in the UK still to come. Um, but as mentioned, we're looking towards the kind of summer to autumn time frame there. Great. Well, that's that's clear, David. So lots of dates for everyone to look out for over the second half of the year and, and well into the next. And clearly, if you, your business or your investment are exposed to the reforms to crypto assets in the EU or the UK, or indeed the enforcement action that we're seeing in the US, just don't hesitate to get in touch. You can find the contact details for David and the rest of our financial services team on the GC website at www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes. Thanks, David, for joining us today. Thanks, everyone else. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>